preaching is, you know, you're supposed to have a good introduction that kind of like grabs the listener. And I stink at those. I'm just like, hey, you're here to hear about Jesus, I would assume, so let's just get to it, right? No, anyway, that's just lazy, whatever. But the, the thing that I would, you know, say this morning, which I know is kind of a, a big kind of promise, uh, but what we're going to be talking about this morning, the title of the sermon is John's Baptism, Jesus' Baptism, and Spirit Baptism. So in the end, we're going to be talking about Holy Spirit Baptism. Um, you're like, man, I didn't know if that was the thing I needed this morning, but I'm here to tell you that that's the thing you need. Spirit baptism, it's like it's got everything to do with like genuine love that you would experience in your life, joy that you would experience in your life, peace, redemption, reconciliation, hope, purpose, eternal life. You're like, all that? And the Holy Spirit baptism? All that. And so, um, yeah, that's a big uh, promise to make, but I'm hopeful that this morning that as we understand and look at what's actually happening here uh, with what Jesus, and this is the very beginning, Mark chapter 1, of, of Jesus starting his ministry, uh, you'll see the importance uh, of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some of you might be wondering, did I go to the wrong church? Is, it, is this New City Pentecostal church this morning? Yes, it is. Amen? All right, so we're going to be looking at this issue of what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I think it has application for all of us, young, old, uh, you know, doesn't matter what ethnicity you are, what socioeconomic status you're at, uh, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is a beautiful gift, I would, and we're going to argue the best gift that Jesus can give. So I'm going to read Mark chapter 1, verses 4 to 13, if you would stand with me um, for the reading of God's Word this morning. John appeared, kind of out of nowhere is the idea with Mark, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the, count, and all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him, were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. I said to my daughters, I think I should just wear that this morning. And that was like a hard pass no. So here I am, just normal. And John preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. We're not going to talk much about verses 12 and 13 here, but suffice it to say, after this moment of incredible revelation, as we'll see about the Father opening heaven and identifying his Son, we see immediately that his task is to confront evil, and Jesus is going to be doing that in the coming chapters, and we'll look at that in the coming weeks. And he was with the wild animals. <laughs> No one knows exactly what that's talking about. Is that Jesus like a new Adam, or are the wild animals on like Team Satan? So <laughs> I'll leave that for your own discovery. 
And the angels, they're on Team Jesus. They were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for what it reveals about who Jesus is and about his might, his strength to baptize his people with his spirit. I pray that you'd give us faith to see him this morning and faith to receive uh, what he offers in his spirit. I ask this for his glory and our good. Amen. So basically, uh, as the title of the, the sermon implies, you know, we're talking about John's baptism, Jesus' baptism, and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So that's the three points for the sermon this morning. And we're going to kind of see the kind of big idea here is that because Jesus himself is, in a sense, baptized with the Holy Spirit, he's immersed by the presence and power of God himself, he, as the unique Son of God, is capable to do the very same thing for us. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they can experience this baptism from Jesus, the baptism of the Spirit. So let's look first at John's uh, baptism, what he's doing, and kind of what he's all about. Starting in verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What I want to highlight with this uh, particular verse is when we're trying to get a hold on what John's doing, he's definitely going to be preparing the way for Jesus, but he's announcing uh, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you were a first century Jew and you heard about this guy, John the Baptist, who's out in the wilderness, kind of crazy-like, you know, dressed crazy and eating crazy, although I would argue nutritious, <laughs> you know, you already, you already know how to get forgiven of your sins. In fact, there's a whole system that's been set up for a long time, and in fact, that system, at least in theory, is sanctioned by the sacred writings, the Old Testament. You have a temple. You have a priesthood. You have animal sacrifices. And if you were a Jew in that first century and you want to get your sins forgiven, you don't go see the crazy man in the wilderness. You go to the temple. See? That's where you would obviously and clearly go. And so the fact that John is in the wilderness, which the wilderness has all kinds of big uh, Old Testament overtones and themes. Sometimes the wilderness is viewed as kind of like uh, a dry and dusty land where you feel isolated and, and you feel dry. Other times the wilderness is the place where Israel would go to experience the presence of God, a.k.a. the Exodus. We've talked about here how this is a new Exodus. So it's almost this idea that actually God's presence isn't in the big city temple anymore. The presence of God has now moved to the wilderness with a, you know, with a wild man. I mean, if John were here preaching, you know, we're kind of, you know, for the most part, pretty cleaned up, refined folk. John makes me uncomfortable. You know, he is definitely uh, confronting and offending the entire system. Don't go there. It's almost like, don't go to the churches God left the building a while ago. If you want to know where God is, come to the wilderness. Whew. You know what I'm saying? And so what John, John's movement, certainly empowered by God's Spirit, he's certainly a mighty prophet. I mean, he says that the one coming after is mightier than I. So John's at least saying, hey, you know, I'm pretty mighty. 
Okay? He is saying that that is a religious shell. The Apostle Paul has a phrase in 2 Timothy where he says that there are certain forms of godliness, but they actually have no power. And John is saying the presence and power have been removed from there, and now I am preparing the way. Now, there were other um, religious Jewish people in that day. They were called the Essenes, who were kind of similar to John. They're kind of like cousins to John. What made John distinct and unique is the Essenes were kind of waiting for the announcement of the Lord. They were waiting for the kingdom of God. They did view that system as corrupt, but they had totally isolated themselves, and they, you know, they didn't gain much of a following. In contrast, John's like, no, something new and fresh is about to happen. I'm preparing the way. I'm announcing it, and so come follow me, and the blessing and power of God's Spirit was upon him. And it says, you know, look, all of Judea and Jerusalem were coming out to him and being baptized by him, confessing their sins. And so what John is about to announce, the, the coming of the Lord, the coming of the kingdom of God, a spiritual preparation is necessary for the presence and power of God. I think that's a good word for our church this morning. If you want to experience the blessing and the power of God in your life, then he uses two words, one of confession of your sins, and then he uses the word of repentance. Repentance has this idea of a, of a complete kind of transformation. I was thinking and believing and feeling one way, and I'm recognizing that that thinking, feeling, acting is wrong, and I'm entirely going a different direction, which is what, I mean, if you went out and got baptized, you know, by John in the wilderness, you also were saying, God's not doing that thing, God's doing this thing. Whatever John is announcing, that's what I'm on board with. That's repentance, the Greek word metanoeo. It's fun to say, metanoeo. You can learn Greek right there. You were doing that, and now you're doing this. And so John comes announcing that an entire change of direction in life is what is necessary for God's chosen people, Israel. There's corruption and hypocrisy that have pervaded the whole system, and now they needed to join him in the wilderness. And that's a little bit of what's Going, you know, this announcement that John, that God's doing a new thing, is that's what the description about his clothes and his diet is about. Because in Malachi, which you say, why do I bring up Malachi randomly from Mark? Well, he quotes Malachi in the verse, first three verses. In Malachi, which is in the view of Mark when he's writing this, Malachi announces that before the great day of the Lord, before the Lord himself shows up and does that new thing, Elijah's going to come back. And so I was like, well, where's Elijah? Well, if you go back and read 1 Kings 17, you go back and read, um, oh, I've just slipped my mind what the other passage was. I can find it and catch me later. That's what Elijah dressed like. <laughs> Elijah was a wild man from the wilderness. He was a hairy man eating crazy stuff in the wilderness. And so John understands himself as, hey, I'm in a sense the new Elijah, the great new thing, the great day of the Lord's about to come, and now I'm calling the nation to repent. And just like Elijah confronted uh, an idolatrous and hypocritous king of Israel, Ahab, and said, that's, you know, you have gone, off, uh, gone after pagan gods, John the Baptist is saying, as a country, you've all gone after idols. You're not worshiping the one true living God anymore. He's out here with me in the wilderness. I'm the new Elijah. Get ready. And so, you know, even having a conversation between services, um, you know, what does the Lord have for us in preparation? 
how will the Lord have us to be prepared? What are, what are issues of confession that would need to be in our lives or areas of repentance where we would need to uh, change our hearts and minds in regard to what Jesus is doing? Is what we're doing kind of a shell? There's a front to it, but there's actually no power. And so this is John the Baptist. And then he says, you know, John knows that his ministry is one of preparation. He says, I've baptized you with water. There's a certain power to it. There's a certain uh, glory to it. But the one who's coming after me, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so John's baptism here, we would say, is a, a baptism or a ministry of preparation. Everyone say preparation. preparation. So let's move on to Jesus' baptism now. Verse 9, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. And so we, we hear Nazareth as like a good thing. You know, if you're a Christian, oh, Jesus came from Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. But Nazareth, back in that time, scholars, you know, some scholars that I've read, a lot of people who lived in Jerusalem in Judea would not even have known where Nazareth was. That seems crazy to us. But that's in a sense how, in a, you know, backwoods Nazareth was from. You know, it's like, you know, people from New York City are very arrogant. If you're from New York City, I love you. Listen, I love New York City. I think New York City is the best city in the world. But so does every single New Yorker <laughs> think that New York City is the best city in the world, right? That's what they think. And that's what people from Jerusalem thought. Ah, we're the best. We're from Jerusalem. Even one of Jesus' own followers, Nathan, would have said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So John the Baptist is certainly confronting what's going on in Jerusalem, and Jesus is just a northern Galilean, almost kind of hick, coming from Galilee? He shows up. He came from Nazareth, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately three things happened. And this is what we're going to look at under Jesus' baptism. Number one, he saw the heavens being torn open. Interesting. Secondly, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And then third, a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Let's look at these three things for Jesus' baptism. Number one, the heavens were torn open. I think most people would agree or at least concede the fact that, you know, there's something spiritual in our world, right? Right? You know, we know that we're flesh and bone, but there, there's also this kind of non-physical part of us. You kind of can connect with that sometimes. You go to a funeral and there's open casket. You see the flesh and bones there, but there's, there's no spirit. That, that non-visible part is not there. So we live in a spiritual world. There's a, there is a dimension that's real, although we can't see it or hear it. Okay? I think most people would agree with that. This is the spiritual dimension, the spiritual realm. And in a sense, we can't really get to it, and they can't really get to us. There seems to be this barrier. But the way the Bible talks about it is that the spiritual realm isn't like it's far away. It's almost like parallel right here with us, side by side going on. So, you know, this is great. But any Stranger Things fans? Raise your hand high. Come on. Okay. I know what I'm dealing with. Yeah, yeah. Some of you are like, can we say that in church? Yeah, it's fine. I mean... One guy's seriously got a potty mouth on him, you know what I'm saying? But, um, so in the Stranger Things, 
world, there's the upside down, right? It's this parallel dimension that's trying to break in. Or, you know, if you're more spiritual, you like Narnia, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Narnia seems to run parallel with the world. And there's this other dimension that, that they interact, and sometimes there's doorways in and out. And so what you get right here, actually, is that that veil, that barrier, is ripped open at Jesus' baptism. And it's really clear about what's going to happen, the, 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 core, the connection between these two realms. Which, by the way, Jesus is very concerned about bringing these two realms together. He taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, our realm, as it is in heaven, the spiritual realm. He's bringing them together. And right here you see it. The heavens are ripped open. The word is schism. It's torn open. If John's baptism is a, bapti is a, is a ministry of preparation, hum humbling ourselves, confessing and repenting, Jesus' ministry is one of revelation. We're going to see who he is. And so the heavens are torn open, and the Spirit now descends on him like a dove. Dove was a very common bird in that area. So what is going on with the, the Spirit here? Well, the other time where we clearly see a dove hovering over waters is with Noah. So after God destroyed the earth with a flood, he is going to remake it. Noah's going to be like a new Adam. In fact, the same commission that God gave to Adam, he also gave to Noah. And so Noah sends out a dove, and he hovers over the waters. Okay. That also connects all the way... That's Genesis uh, 9, I think. That also connects back to Genesis 1. In the very beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so what's going on here? What's going on is the Father tore open heaven... And he sends a dove, a bird, who is now hovering over the waters. Creation of the world, recreation of the world, so to speak, with Noah. And now coming on Jesus, Jesus is the Son of God who's remaking the world. The new creation has begun with the new creation maker, Jesus. <laughs> and he's still doing it. So we've got certainly creation, new creation overtones. And now we're going to get redemption, salvation overtones. And a voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son. Mark here makes it kind of personal between Jesus and the Father. It's like Jesus saw the dove and the voice spoke to Jesus. If you read John's account, all the people that were there heard and saw this as well. It's, it's more of a public thing. John focuses more a little bit personally and privately with Jesus, but the voice comes and says, you are my beloved son. That's from Psalm 2, where the Messiah is promised that he will have an inheritance among the nations, and everyone who trusts in him will be blessed and saved. So this idea that, okay, I'm going to remake the world, and I'm also going to redeem and restore everyone who gives their allegiance to me. It's also Isaiah 42, the servant of the Lord, who will redeem and also make all things new. It's kind of a combination of Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42. Uh, you know, a couple, last couple of weeks we've been talking about how 
a lot of Mark picks up from Isaiah. And so here's another example of it, of how um, Mark quotes Isaiah, this idea of a new exodus, a new liberation of the people of God setting us free. And he says, with you, I am well pleased. And so there's this kind of messianic, redeeming and saving idea here. One other quick thing about, not quick thing, it's a really important thing. When he says, you are my beloved son, yes, it's Messiah. Yes, that's like a human being who will come and rescue and restore God's people. But if you go back to verse 8, when John said, someone's coming after me, he's mightier than me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. If you look at the Old Testament, who was the one who was going to pour the Spirit out on all people? Wasn't specifically necessarily the Messiah, the human king who was to come. It was Yahweh. It was the Lord himself. Isaiah 44.3. He will pour out the Spirit. So Mark is saying, you know, the heavens are ripped open and there's an explicit uh, identification, a revelation of who he is. He's the one who's going to bring about the new creation. He's the Messiah and he's God's son, fully God and fully man. Revelation. So John is preparing you. If you're going to meet this son of God, you need to get prepared. You need to humble yourself. You need to reorient your priorities so that you might be prepared to meet the Lord who is mightier than I. What a moment of revelation. And then lastly, what I want to look at now, thirdly, so we look at John's baptism, look at Jesus' baptism, and I want to look at spirit baptism. And this goes back to verse 8. Okay? In verse 8, John the Baptist said, one who's coming after me is mightier than I. I just baptized you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, at Jesus' baptism, they both happened at the same time. Amen? That's great. But the real important issue is that, okay, there's Jesus himself being baptized with the Spirit. He's the unique Son of God in a way that, you know, you know I'm a child of God, but not like Jesus. He's the, the Spirit receiver and the Spirit giver. And so we want to look at this idea of Spirit baptism. First thing I want to do about this is maybe put a little contrast here for us. Again, kind of knowing a little bit of my audience here, if I were to say, ask you to describe your Christian experience, and I were to ask you this question, when did you get saved? Most of you, again, again, I don't want to make assumptions. I know we have visitors, people I don't know here, so you know, just bear with me a little bit. But most of you be like, oh, I know what he means when I got saved. Like, okay, I got saved at this point. It means when you became a Christian, when you recognize there was a point when you weren't a Christian and then you like, okay, I am a Christian, I believed, and that's when I got saved, right? Nod your head. if You, you don't have to raise, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> if I were to ask you, when did you get baptized in the Holy Spirit? I just, I even felt it right there. It's like, oh, well, I don't even know if I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, let me tell you, if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then you're not a Christian. You must be baptized in the Holy Spirit in order to be a Christian. In fact, saying that you're saved and saying that you're baptized in the Spirit are actually parallel ideas. They're not against one another, but they certainly bring out and highlight different things. And for Mark, 
to put this at the beginning of Jesus' biography. How important do you think it is? Very important. And even the way we understand ourselves. When you say you got saved, that's a past tense idea. You kind of think of what Jesus did in the past, and maybe you get to go to heaven when you die. If I tell you I'm baptized in the Spirit, what do you think is happening right now? Everyone say now. <laughs> You're expecting, like, this guy's excited about that, like, right now. <laughs> yes! And New City Church, you know, we need to learn from our Pentecostal brothers and sisters the energy and the dynamic of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit for here and now is essential to true, authentic Christianity. In fact, that's why we bring up the point about John in the beginning. John is like, hey, all that stuff, this, this apparently is Jerusalem. <laughs> First service and second. This is where Jerusalem is, and this is the wilderness. So if you're on this side this morning, sorry. No. John was confronting Jerusalem because they had an appearance of religion, but no power. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And John's saying that's never what was supposed to be. God always intended for his very life to flow through the life of his people with power. And so, spirit baptism is kind of another way of being saved, another way of stating that. So you, you get the spirit when you believe, when you repent. We'll talk about that in a second. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just to clarify this, and I'll give you my definition slash description. And there's a whole nother sermon in here that I won't go after. I'm just going to touch it. <laughs> For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. He's talking about the body of Christ, talking about the church. There's only one body, but there's a lot of diversity in that body. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Now here's the other sermon. Jews, Greeks, slave, free, doesn't matter. The unity of the church is based on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That brother has a spirit. That sister has a spirit. We're one. Figure it out. Anyway, that's the sermon. Figure it out. And we were all made to drink of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit is not just this external thing. There's this internal reality that it comes in. He comes into you. Paul there is talking about conversion. He's talking about when you become a Christian. And again, this is not based simply on gifts of the Spirit, because gifts of the Spirit aren't necessarily for everybody. Not everybody prophesies, not everybody speaks in tongues, not everybody does miracles, not everybody has the gift of help, not everybody has the gift of faith. But everybody that is a true Christian has the Spirit. And so what's the definition of what it means to be baptized in the Spirit? It's all of me connected to all of Jesus so that I might become like him. And then I would add forever. That's what it's, it's, the word baptism means to be immersed. It's an immersive experience. Contrasted again with you know, self-righteous, external religion, just on the outside, that's not baptism of the Spirit. That can all be done in human effort. What Jesus is saying when, or what John, I guess, is saying, that he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, there's this internal, comprehensive, powerful 
transformation, everyone say transformation, transformation. that occurs in your life when you are baptized in the Spirit. And again, I think we should argue clearly that that happens for everybody at the beginning of our walk with Jesus. And then over time, we are transformed more and more and more to become like Jesus. So there's kind of this progress. There's this preparation that's necessary to meet the Lord. We need to humble ourselves, recognize that we're sinners, repent, recognize that our loves and affections have gone after other things. And then we need to meet the Lord as the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, the redeemer and the savior. And then our lives are, we get the spirit and our lives are transformed into his likeness. Preparation, revelation, transformation. So that's, you could say, what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. And again, I cannot stress enough how different that is from just religion. And I cannot stress enough, again, how that is for every Christian, young or old, male or female. What really matters is, do you have the Spirit or not? That's how the people of God are now identified right now. So then how do you get the Spirit? That's the next question we'll answer. And for that, look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Who tricked you? How did you trip on this? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, external religion, or by hearing with faith? And the answer is, of course, hearing with faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So maybe there's some here who would never experience the Spirit. If you want to experience the blessing of God's Spirit in your life, believe on Jesus, and you will receive Him. And then there's some of you that have received the Spirit, but you're like, man, my, my Christianity feels stale or boring, or I'm not engaged with it. What's going on? Because you're not hearing with faith the good news of Jesus. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you, that's Spirit baptism, and works miracles among you, <laughs> again, this pushes us, right? Come on now, new city. That pushes us. I don't know of any, like, miracles here last week. At least like walking on water. Holy Spirit miracles on me, it's a different story, but that should be the expectation, the expectation of a New Testament church is that the Holy Spirit would be doing amazing things on the reg. <laughs> okay? Does he do that by the works of the law? External religion? No. Or by hearing with faith? Yes. Next one. That's it? Oh, I wish there was more. No. <laughs> Thank you. So what is spirit baptism? It's all of me connected to all of him. So I might become like him for all of my life. How do you get the spirit? You get the spirit through faith in the person and work of Jesus. And this, you know, this actually is connected to another one of Jesus' baptisms. You're like, well, I thought you only had one. He got baptized twice? Yes. Look in your, uh, if you have a little biography of Jesus there, look on page 64. Jesus likens his death to baptism. 
couple of his, his disciples asked him if they could sit on his right and his left, and he's like, you guys don't get this. And in chapter 10, verse 38, it's on page 64, Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? He's talking about his death. And so when you look at Jesus' death as a baptism and compare it with his actual baptism, you see an amazing parallel. At the first baptism, the heavens were opened up. The word is schism. At his death baptism, the same word is used, schism. But this time it's not the heavens being opened. It's the temple curtain is schismed, is torn open. The heavens were open there, and now the access into God's presence is open through his death. At the first baptism, the heavens were open, and a voice said, This is the Son of God. At his death baptism, the curtain was open, and the centurion said, Truly, this is the Son of God. And so, brothers and sisters, how do you experience the Spirit? You believe that Jesus died for you and that he rose again for you? That simple. There's this idea of repentance. I turn away from trying to save myself and uh, pursue other things and say, I'm all in on Jesus. Jesus, save me. And when you ask that, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, which again is parallel to being baptized in the Spirit. And this even is like when you look at the history of salvation. When did God pour out the Holy Spirit first on all of his people? Pentecost. When did Pentecost happen? Before the death and resurrection of Jesus or after? After. And so after Jesus accomplishes salvation, dies for our sins, rises again, now the way is open and we can have God's presence safely. <laughs> I say safely because... If you have God's presence and your sins aren't covered, it's not safe. It's judgment. So, what is spirit baptism? It's all of Jesus for all of me, so that I might become like him for all of my life. How do you get this spirit baptism? By believing on the name of the Lord Jesus. Repenting, turning away from other loves and other trusts, and you get the spirit. And that's the same way you grow in the, in the presence and power of the spirit. You keep believing afresh and new in the ups and downs of your life. You keep believing in the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and return of Jesus. You keep repenting, and he keeps pouring the spirit out again and again. You're led and you're filled by the spirit. That's the kind of church you want to be. So lastly, what is spirit baptism? How do you get it? How do you get him? How do you get the spirit? And then let me just finish with why. And this goes back to my introduction. Comfort, joy, all that stuff that I kind of like teased you with. Why would you even want the Holy Spirit? And I'm telling you, <laughs> why wouldn't you? <laughs> so look at... Uh, Look at Titus chapter 3. He saved us. It's interesting how he's going to tie together saved, like I've been doing this morning with spirit baptism. He saved us, not because of our works done in righteousness, not because of a shell of religion, not because I do good things, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. He ties being saved with washing regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us, say it. So I want us to get this. You know, one of the commentators I've read about Ephesians says, in, in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to get used to abundance. There's more Holy Spirit presence than you can use, <laughs> okay? 
He had poured the Spirit on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And so now think. Some of us, I would probably argue at the risk of being offensive, but the Bible says it, so not just me. All of us have things that we've done that we're ashamed of. And you can't buy your way out of shame. You can try to cover it up. You can try to deny it. Like, you're rocking, it's like a rock in your shoe that never goes away. There's things that you've done, said, thought, felt, that you don't want anyone else in this room to know, and yet God knows. And yet the reason that Jesus died and rose again is so that he might pour the Spirit on you, and the Spirit's like getting dunked in the river, getting washed. And he washes all your shame away. Why wouldn't you want that? Or you can try to do it yourself. You just keep trying to get on a treadmill, keep, but you'll never outrun your shame. And Jesus says, come to me and I'll wash you. Regeneration? Brand new life. One of the problems with people who are proud and self-sufficient is they don't want a new life. <laughs> you know, they don't recognize that they need it. And they, they just keep ignoring the reality that, that death is on the doorstep. And yet Jesus comes rising from the dead and says, I can give new life to anyone and everyone who calls upon me. So much work and effort these days and self-help and you know, you know, diet and exercise and doing all the right things in the you know, you know, 2022, the new you, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus said, I can make you new. I can make you the kind of human being you would want to be. He does it, not you. Noble, dignified, patient, loving, generous. He does that. And he does it by giving you the Spirit, by immersing his Spirit in you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Who wouldn't want that? So it's like, why would I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, just if you want to get rid of your guilt and shame, that's all. Just if you want to be shaped into the very likeness of Jesus. You know, even people who rip Christianity to shreds, they hate Christianity because Christians are hypocrites, and I'm like, well, you're probably right, and I, you know, they don't say bad things about Jesus. He's almost like universally respected in a sense. If you were a human like Jesus was a human, even if people hated your doctrine, they would love you. That's the kind of person that Jesus changes his people into, and by God's grace, we grow into it. Of course we'd want to be a church like that. Look at Romans 8, finishing up here. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of, say that word, slavery, bound, constricted, Jesus pours his Holy Spirit on you to make you really free. We have a bad understanding of what freedom is. You know, it's like the fish who's like, I want to live on land. That's where I'm really free. Jump out of the water and die. <laughs> That's not freedom. Freedom is living according to the, the design that God has made for us as human beings. And the Holy Spirit makes us truly human. Really free. So I'm like, who wouldn't want that? That's part of the being baptized in the Spirit. And we don't fall back into fear. You know, all of us have fears. This last week I confessed one of my fears, you know, deepest fears to my wife. She said, just now? Well, hey, you know, it takes a while sometimes. 
you're all afraid of something. Jesus immerses you into the life of his spirit to set you free from fear. Freedom from fear, freedom from slavery to sin and judgment. And then he says, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry and say that, Abba, Father. So, a couple weeks ago, and this is all about access. You have open access now. Like the temple got, the curtain got torn. You can go to God, creator and sustainer of the universe, as your father anytime. That's access. <laughs> so, a couple weeks ago, one of my kids was, you know, busy days, sports, school, all that kind of stuff, and they were in my office. And they just sat down at my desk. And they were just like, probably like drooling on the desk. I say, what? What are you talking about? None of you would do that. <laughs> None of you would walk into my office, sit at my desk, sprawl yourself out, maybe drool. She actually was laying on the floor at one point. You wouldn't do that. Why? Because I'm not your dad. I'm her dad. Access to me anytime, anywhere. If I'm in a meeting, a really important meeting, I will take that call. Why? She's my daughter. That's what God is offering you because he's baptized you with the Holy Spirit. You have the spirit of adoption anytime, any place, access. Amen. Well, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. And the last thing is, just, and there's so much more, the last thing from that passage, put that up there, guys, again. Not only do you have that access, if you're a child, then you're an heir. Heirs of God. That means that God has a spot for you in the new heavens and the new earth. Are you kidding me? Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. You're, in a sense, you're on the list. He knows your name. He knows you're coming. And he's preparing because you're his child because he poured the spirit of adoption on you. You've been baptized in the spirit. So we need to get a little Pentecostal here this morning. <laughs> and appreciate it's the best gift the gift of the holy spirit is god's greatest gift he said if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how will not your heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask so if you're here today and you've never come to know jesus we would invite you just call on the name of the lord and ask for the gift of the spirit and if you're here and you feel like man i feel like i need renewal i feel like i need to be re-energized then you ask for the gift of the spirit Father, I pray that very thing. I pray that we would not settle for an external, man-made, religious experience. I pray that we'd be willing to go meet John, as it were, in the wilderness Have our hearts prepared. Know you as the revealer. And then trust you to change us now and forever. Father, do your work in your ways that only you can do, I pray in your name. Amen.